0: Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Market Show. I am John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle. Joined today for our first podcast of the new year by Harriet Russell. How are you doing, Harriet? Good, thanks, John. Excellent. Did you have a nice break? I did. Break? Did we have a break?
1: <laughs> I was going to say it flew by, but it, it did. No um,
0: and we've been very busy with several issues that we put out over. The holiday
1: editorial deadlines are my best friend. Absolutely,
0: absolutely. We're going to talk about retail today. Yeah, I know we uh, we we often talk about retail, but it's kind of an important sector, and especially so at this time of year.
1: Yeah, I mean, probably from November through to the end of January is probably the most crucial months. An awful lot of profit gets delivered in those in those sort of few weeks, so it is important, and also you know retail as a sector is very indicative of what's going on in the general economy which is what dominates the headlines at the moment so it's uh it's a good one to look at
0: so we're not sorry for talking about retail <laughs> today um and simon thompson how are you doing simon
2: i'm doing well a bit husky voice but i'm doing very well john and did you have a good good uh, a fantastic christmas in the year? holiday uh, south of valencia oh, lovely 19 degrees sunny yeah, I right, don't rub it. <laughs>
0: um, and we we are going to talk actually about about the general economy because that's that's how you've uh, you've uh, opened your first column of the new year. It is. Is it your first
2: column? No, your second column. of oh, the right. new year. No, no, sorry, second column. I had one I filed whilst I was uh, overseas, and uh, actually whilst I was flying back, something really majorly important happened in the states with the uh, Federal Reserve, which is the uh, piece in this column.
0: Okay, well we might as well. Start with that because I guess that provides the backdrop for everything else that we're going to talk about um, in the rest of this podcast. So, what, what has happened in the US and what are the implications for the market in 2019?
2: Well, the uh, the US stock market had its worst December since the 1930s crash, and um, at one point the SP 500 was down 15%. And- People had noted that the 10-year yield curve in the States was as flat as a pancake had inverted at low maturity yields. And, you know, in in the past, this has been a great indicator of recession. And if basically the U.S. goes into recession, that's bad news for everyone. Um, What has changed materially in the last two weeks is that Jay Powell, the Federal Reserve, uh, so the central bank chairman, came out with a statement that said the market's reaction was well ahead of the data and um, I would point out that the U.S. jobs figures on Friday last week were just absolutely amazing. They were good. Um, but also the U.S. Federal Reserve, which has been raising interest rates um, at a fair pace over the last couple of years, uh, would now take a patient approach to monetary policy tightening. Well, that's worth noting because the um, the futures yield curve was actually – um, at complete odds with what the central bank was predicting the central bank was predicting two rate rises in the u.s this year and previously mr powell at the start of december had said that the uh, monetary tightening so the withdrawal of quantitative easing which was 50 billion dollars a month that's about 40 billion sterling a month of qe was actually drained out of the system um that he said that was on autopilot at the start of uh, december well If the central bank is going to be patient, two things are going to happen. One, forget about two interest rate rises in the States this year. But secondly, the draining of liquidity out of the U.S. uh, monetary system is going to stop. And the clear implication of that is massive. The first thing is that the U.S. dollar, which has been relatively strong, will start to weaken if you take away the prop. For the dollar, which is a draining of liquidity out of the system, plus higher interest rates, you've got high interest rate differentials compared with other currencies. Um, So you can have a weaker dollar. But secondly, you've got a lot of borrowing overseas. So this is the offshore dollar borrowing market. Mm -hmm. There's 12.8 trillion, not billion, trillion dollars worth of uh, borrowing outstanding, most of which this is outside the US, by the way, most of which is actually not at fixed rate interest rates, so it's actually priced off uh, the current Fed rate um, interest rate. Now, if that interest rate isn't going to rise any further than it has done, that's going to give a liquidity boost to a whole range of markets, so some of the emerging markets that you've seen massive sell-offs in over the last three, four months could actually start to reverse. My, my take on it is not only is it a positive for equity markets? You've seen the US equity markets and, U- and the European stock markets rally quite strongly since the start of this year. But if the US dollar is going to weaken, that has massive implications for the commodity complex, be it oil, energy, uh, precious metal prices. These are all priced in dollars. So weakening of the US dollar is actually positive for those. And I've got a number of companies that are exposed to a weakening dollar. Mm.
0: I mean, it, it is quite interesting. You, I mean, you could potentially argue that... I mean, you said it's at, at odds with what the, the yield curve is telling us, what, what, what the Fed is saying, although you could argue that they're responding to what the yield curve is telling them.
2: Well, the, the fact that the yield curve is starting to invert was telling you economically there are tough times ahead, if not recession.
0: And, and, and therefore, if there are tough times ahead, you don't want to be tightening monetary policy and no. raising interest rates in the face of that.
2: No, absolutely not. Um, and, the, I mean, the futures market for uh, the interest rate market for US was actually... Not implying two rate rises in 2019, mm. which is what the Fed's guidance was at its last meeting.
0: So, so, I mean, this is potentially good news for the for the stock market, um, but it's an liquidity driven boost potentially. But the recessionary risk has not gone away, um, and, and, and there are lots of signs that we talked about earlier that uh, that, that, that actually there were, there are were mounting pressures in the global
2: economy. I, I don't disagree with that whatsoever. The the point I would make is that it's one of the reasons that we had one of the longest bull markets in history. Um, you know, the U.S. market peaked out the first first week of October. The U.K. market peaked out in, in the summer and early June. But one of the reasons it lasted for the best part of a decade was the boost it got from QE, from this liquidity pool of cheap money that was sloshing around the system. And as soon as you start draining away that liquidity pool, you're actually reversing the effects of QE. And even the former chairman of the Federal Reserve, Ben Bernanke, came out publicly and basically said that one of the purposes of QE was a wealth effect, to make people feel uh, wealthier. And one effect of that was through higher equity prices. And, you know, you've seen asset classes across the board, be it property actually soar over the last decade. Um, my point is that if the US Central Bank has belatedly realised that markets outside the US can't take any more strain from this withdrawal of liquidity, um, then it's going to address its monetary policy accordingly. And the hit that those markets have been taking by tighter liquidity conditions could actually start to reverse.
0: I guess the big question is, so... so this would suggest we may see markets rise for, for a while. How long can they, can they rise in the face of the, the, the pressures that clearly exist out there? I mean, we've had some very bad news from China on car sales. We've had some very related bad news from Germany on industrial production. There's some pretty hideous figures from, from the UK's own car industry. Um, retail was not great this Christmas. There, there is clearly The wealth effect is clearly dissipating. How, how long could markets sort of fly in the face of this?
2: There's, there's two ways of looking at this, and I'm not sitting on the fence. People that think that the sell off that we saw in the autumn and some in the US, but also from the summer highs in the UK, was actually the start of a long bear market. So, the first stage sell off, 15, 20% drop in equity prices. Um, You'd then expect a bounce back rally, which, that which might see, be what we're seeing now. Yeah, absolutely. So the bears in the camp that have basically said, well, actually, uh, the economic conditions are deteriorating, the earnings cycle has turned, and uh, stock prices are too high, so the ratings are too high, so um, this is time to get out, um, will say use this rally to actually um, take money off the table from some of your positions. Um, The bulls, on the other hand, will say if liquidity conditions are actually getting better – You know, we've actually hit a point that they couldn't get any worse, um, that this will actually fuel a longer rally, which could be the last hurrah for the bull market that started in 2009. Now, only time will tell which of those camps is right. And I'm I'm not sitting on the fence, but I'm saying that I expect quite a strong rally the first quarter of this year to happen if the Federal Reserve holds to the words of Jay Powell, which – he made that speech last, last Friday and is patient and basically holds off any more tightening.
0: I guess the big question then is, what do we do as stock pickers? Uh, now, you've had a pretty good year on bargain shares.
2: Uh, I had I'd, I'd a pretty good year in relation to the AIM market. The AIM market was down about 15% since February last year, which is horrendous. Um, using today's figures, the, the portfolio of... 10 stocks I, I selected is roughly up about 14% so it's, it's outperformed quite strongly against AIM where I picked the stocks from um, I've, I'm going to adjust my investment stock picking strategy for these market conditions um, so I'm for this year's portfolio, I'm looking at incredibly lowly rated stocks where recessionary risk is already fully embedded in the price. So phone stocks on five, six times earnings with decent balance sheets. So there's no financial strains in balance sheets to justify those ratings. So basically, these some of these companies, um, or the market at least, is predicting that you know the UK is going to have some shocking recession and their, their earnings are going to collapse. I'm going to take a contrarian view to that, and I've got a margin of safety because if I'm buying stocks in five times, six times earnings, and I, I point out the UK market is the lowest rated market in the world at the moment, um, mm. I, I've got no problem at all actually finding stocks in single-digit earnings multiples with cash in the bank of very low gearing um, because the UK market's been hated. Um, but my point is that the risk premium embedded in valuations at the moment is so high – Because the confluence of factors, be it Brexit, be it, as you said, the numbers that you're seeing coming out of Europe, so industrial production in Germany is in effect in recession, Um, Italy's in recession. Um, So what what I'm saying is that if I can actually find stocks where the risk premium is ridiculously high, any positive news – will actually filter in to an unwinding of the risk embedded in those uh, stock prices.
0: It, it's interesting you say that, but that's, that's in fact the theme of the cover feature this week, Down But Not Out, you know, shares that have taken an absolute drubbing, mainly because they're on the UK market, but as much as anything else. I mean, there were some horrors in there, which we may talk about when we, we get on to retail. But yeah, that, um, the, the idea there is companies that have taken an absolute battering, the, the, the sentiment may be misplaced. The, the, the degree of negativity towards them may be overdone.
2: I'm putting together a portfolio of 10 small cap stocks, mostly listed in the A market. Um, And if I'm right, and the whole point about the bargain shares is you're taking a contrarian view anyway, that the shares are cheap for a reason. And it's actually ascertaining if there's a catalyst to reverse the low ratings of the stocks. And I've gone through the whole of the AIM market, 947 stocks. I've gone through the FTSE fledgling index, the FTSE small cap index to actually handpick 10, 10 companies that I believe um, offer potential to outperform any market, be it rising market or falling market, because of that risk premium that's already embedded in those uh, share prices. Have you have you got your 10 yet? I've, I've got my 10. I'm just doing – well, I've actually got 20, but I've got 10 that I've got my eye on. So ooh, ooh.
0: Exciting. Excited? Well,
2: you'll have to wait, John. I think it's the first of February it comes out. I think so.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, and if, if it's, it's as good as last year's, then uh, then then we can expect uh, another happy year on the bargain shares front. I mean, the outperformance last year of, of
2: Aim is like twenty twenty five percent near enough. No, twenty three percent. It's it's well north of twenty odd percent. And um, what what I say about last year is that I, I took a specific view on commodity prices as well. So I had Parkmead, which is uh, Exploring in the North Sea. Um, and, um, you know, I, I was, when I recommended that share, cash on the balance sheet and a stake in Ferro Petroleum, Ferro Petroleum is a company that I followed quite closely, um, in effect, backed up 100% its, um, its uh, market capitalization, which meant you're getting all its licenses in the price for nothing. Um, and people actually realise, well, hey, those licences are worth something. And even more so now because Park has got a crossover with Ferro Petroleum on some of the licences it holds. And Ferro Petroleum um, this week succumbed to a bid from yeah. DNO, the um, Norwegian um, investor in um, the oil sector, um, a 600-odd million pound bid. Um, I don't think the penny's dropped, that Parkmead still has a crossover in some of its licenses. But the, the point is that I took a view on the energy price then. Um, I took a view on the commodity prices with Sylvania Platinum. So that's Platinum, Radium, uh, Palladium. Um, and as a result of that, I took a view on the dollar as well. And that, that, that stock's done incredibly well. Um, so it, it was a diversified portfolio of stocks for, for, for that portfolio. And it's going to be the same again, John. Yeah.
0: Indeed, and th- those companies you mentioned, Parkmead, Sylvania, uh, two of the best performers in the, uh, the 10 last year. You've updated on them in the magazine this I've, week.
2: I've updated on those two. I've also updated on the Lagart in the 2018 bargain share portfolio, MPAC, which is a small-cap niche packaging engineering business which supplies customers in the pharmaceutical, healthcare, and beverage industries with um, with some neat equipment. Um, it's had its problems, and um, but I... I, I, I it had a great trading statement this week, and I think the pennies drops amongst investors who've, who've bought the shares this week, that things were not as bad as the markets. I, I, it goes back to this equity risk premium I'm talking about. So the shares were actually trading below cash on the balance sheets earlier this week, which basically meant a business that's going to make you know, 1.5 million operating profit this year, forecast a double profit next year off the back of a slew of contracts, operating business was in the price for nothing and people have you know reassessed the merits of the business this week and you know the stock prices rallied quite a lot mm. um, I also looked at an interesting one is Bo Levin which is um, another exploration company it's from the uh, 2016-17 portfolio it's done very well well when I said buy the shares back in 2016 and It's just 19 pence cash on the balance sheet was more or less the share price so again the implication was that the assets it was actually holding were absolutely worthless despite the fact it had done a 250 million dollar farm out yeah. um well this week it's returning 15 pence a share of cash to shareholders which means if you bought the shares at 19 pence a couple of years ago, you're doing very well and you still own a stock worth 32 pounds.
0: No, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's good stuff. I think, uh, have, have a read of that and uh, look forward to the bargain shares in uh, just under a month's time. A lot of work still to do, but yeah. we're getting there. Absolutely. Let's talk about retail, um, which is a sector which uh, is down. But is it out? Um, before Christmas, the expectation was that uh, that it was going to be an absolute horror show. Uh, I think Mike Ashley made a comment before Christmas that that uh, the, the industry was going to get smashed, I think was his, uh, his exact words. Did it happen?
1: No. <laughs> In short, no. Um, I mean, you and I were talking earlier, there are a lot of... Um, very almost scaremongering headlines around this week um, about the worst performance since the last recession and retails through the floor and the high street is over Um, and I think it's important certainly from a stock picker's point of view at least to understand that a lot of those headlines have political motivation. We're obviously in uncertain times particularly around our Brexit negotiations. And a lot of people like to use retail as a sector and the figures within it to illustrate the chaos that they're otherwise trying to quantify. Yeah,
0: the, the point being the consumers are feeling so nervous and, and under financial pressure that they're not spending. And and the BRC, British Retail Consortium, had some figures in December and they weren't great. No. It was zero growth.
1: Yeah, zero growth, basically. And depending what you compare it to, sort of month on month or quarter to quarter, they look even worse. So, um, yeah. so yeah, the it's not to take away from those headlines entirely. The The backdrop is not fantastic.
0: One thing I would say is that every... December for the last God knows how many years, there has been growth. And Now, I'm, maybe I'm being a pedant here, but flat sales meat growth means it was the same as last year mm-hmm. which was better than the year before that And that so it's not the worst Christmas for 10 years it's the best yeah. it's the worst in terms of the amount of growth
1: right and a lot of people <laughs> like I say will well the BRC itself will, will compare quarter to quarter and a lot of the headlines will pick up on those figures which tend to be worse um, as Simon was saying we came off what actually turned out to be a relatively good summer for retail um, the heat wave sort of inspired people to get out out of the house and uh, depending which retailer you're looking at and depending how um, reliant they are on weather patterns a lot of them performed okay so it was inevitable there was going to be a slowdown it started in October and November was a bloodbath um, but December really wasn't as bad um, a lot of people have used the phrase that Santa came late and Well
0: he didn't come until January from what I saw I mean yeah. actually because a lot of the trading statements we've seen in the last week have, have actually extended into the first week of January as and January's normal. been pretty good
1: January's been great um, the the momentum that we've seen since the start of the year has been really, really good. Illustrated today by B and M, um, they were ones that particularly saw a real rally towards the end of December. And the, the date that people have, they
0: looking, had a sort of it was a revenue warning, wasn't it? It was uh, yeah, it was an odd strange. one.
1: It was not a profit warning. It, it was a UK like for like revenue warning, <laughs> uh, which was in November, which was in line with what a lot of other retailers experienced, which was a massive slowdown around Black Friday. Um, but they they cite the twenty second of December as a real sort of Rally point in for the entire sector, not just BNM, um, and that final weekend before um, the big day itself was was sort of a turning point in a lot of ways. Um, And there was a lot more volume growth, which is important because the other thing the BRC isn't necessarily great at is pointing out the difference between value and volume. Mm -hmm. And obviously we've been in an inflationary environment for prices now for two years. So you've got to always be sort of aware of that difference. Um, But yeah, as you say, that momentum has carried on into the new year and things aren't looking as terrible um, as people were, were expecting. I mean, sector by sector, there are still um nuances so supermarkets for instance was a big one this week and there's still quite a lot of doom and gloom in there
0: but you've written a news piece on the supermarkets but generally speaking the figures were good figures are good
1: and most of the share prices bounced um tesco came out today so they didn't make it into the story but uh we've written an additional update online for that now um and the overall picture, decent life for light
0: growth. Yeah, I think it's up Tesco, two point two
1: percent. Yeah, Tesco was the uh, was the best performer in the end. But even Sainsbury's, which registered a naught um, uh, a point four percent growth in grocery, which was like you know basically the weakest growth of all four, um, even their shares rose on the day. I'm troubled um, by
0: Sainsbury's I have to say.
1: <laughs> well, there's a lot going on there. We can yeah,
0: get I, into that. I'm not convinced by their strategy at the moment. I have to say, um,
1: their. Obviously, they're waiting on a fairly huge merger.
0: Yeah, I'm not convinced by that the more I think about it. <laughs>
1: um, which, if I'm honest, I think will happen. I think the CMA will approve it. They're playing hardball at the moment, but they have to because they appear to play hardball with Tesco and Booker. Very different deals, but obviously equally kind of grand in scale. Um, but I think eventually, even if even if disposals are part of it, I think they will wave it through. So Sainsbury's will look like a very different business in terms of its size at least by the end of the year possibly.
0: yeah and, and obviously not listed but we've had uh news from people like lidl and audi yep. we, who have had fantastic christmases
1: waitrose too today.
0: waitrose they had decent christmas numbers yep. on the uh on the food front yeah uh m&s food numbers were the
1: usual thing a little um, bit but
0: better than expected. Yeah,
1: a 2.1% decline like for like, um, but better than people expected. Again, M&S shares, I mean, all metrics down <laughs> across the board, uh, total sales, clothing and home and food, and the shares rose 2% this morning. <laughs> so yeah. it's, uh, it just shows you that well, it's, it's the, not as bad as people expected. The
0: bloodbath never materialised. Yeah. Um, now, if we go back to the cover feature, I mean, we look at, so Dan Libetow's written this, he's put a big uh, screen together of, of some of the shares that fell most heavily last year. There are a huge number of retailers mm. in there. You've got people like, Carpet, right? Debenham's, uh, Super Dry. Uh, who else we've we got? Dix's Carphone, um, McColl's Retail. And then you've got Into Properties, which is obviously a big retail landlord. Um, are we. I thought Ted Baker was in there, but it must have disappeared. Um, Ted had, Baker's th- rallied. They of had course. a shocker. But 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 actually, we've had some updates, and, and there's been some really strong performances. I mean, forget MS, um, which was kind of pretty poor but not as poor as expected yeah. next next numbers were pretty decent next
1: numbers were strong that that propelled I think an 8% share price rise on the day Yeah. Um, so that was good we had shoe zone which is a buy tip that was up 10% yesterday profit upgrade uh, Greg's has issued two profit upgrades in the space of two months people
0: can't get enough of those vegan sausage rolls
1: yeah and
0: they actually can't they can't make them fast enough
1: um, I mean that did annoy me yesterday the flurry of headlines vegan sausage roll puts meat in Greg's numbers oh Oh, God. And also, the vegan sausage roll doesn't factor into these figures at all. But we'll just ignore that. Um
0: well, you know, journal- creative license. Yeah, exactly.
1: Uh, creative inaccuracy. Anyway. Um, well, what it
0: does show about Greggs, though, is that they, uh, they're, they're in, it's an interesting business. Been really? For years. Yeah. I, you know, because one of my... I- theories about the high street is that it is always changing. So I picked I just you know pulled out an old uh copy from 1994. Yeah. Well, many retailers <laughs> that you'd recognize on there. M&S was still there. No, yeah, yeah. Uh Greggs, funny enough has been around a long time. Yeah. And we would we try to imagine what Greggs was selling in 1994 and it, it, it wasn't a pleasant thought.
1: It doesn't bear <laughs> thinking about, really. Um, but no, you're but, but it's right. it's reinvented
0: itself. Totally. And it continues to do so.
1: And it's entirely dependent on the high street. And it's entirely dependent on people visiting shops, which makes it a very interesting business to talk about right now. Because, you know, if you want to put it alongside food retailers, even the supermarkets are having to think about getting online. And if you put it against the general retailers, then they're definitely online. So that Greggs has been able to carve out its niche so successfully and continue to grow strongly um, when it is so reliant on physical um, interaction with customers. You know, it's, uh, it's a testament to how well that business has been able to navigate a very, very changing, in a, in a structural sense, sector
0: it's a workplace lunchtime business Yeah, it's a coffee in the morning business I was going
1: to say you know it doesn't equal trade at breakfast too now yeah
0: yeah it's, it, it is interesting but 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 it doesn't it do that by standing still it's had to explore new strategies explore new products keep up with consumer tastes definitely and
1: people were counting it out this time last year it had uh, well give it sort of another um, couple of months we'd had obviously the beast from the east last year if anyone remembers that that cold snap and that did play havoc with, uh, with their sort of first quarter and into the second um, and people were really Saying you know it's it's over they've lost it and of course that you know didn't come to pass by the end of the third quarter last year people were saying that was completely overdone and they'd actually been making a slew of internal investments which continue things like centralizing their bakery operations and um, the way they sort of supply all of their high street stores is becoming a lot more streamlined it's costing them money um, so there's no sort of great income on offer or anything with those shares um, but the growth on offer is certainly. Attractive. It's just a shame that whenever uh, the market gets back on board with Greg's, the shares re-rate and the rating becomes impossible to sort of get back on board with. It's always an expensive stock.
0: Maybe it's one to tuck away when there's a little dip. And, uh, well, it depends how much yeah,
1: forever. how much faith you have in it. But having now covered it for the best part of three years, I'm, I'm certainly starting to have more long-term faith in it and would be willing to go through a couple of shocks, you know. Um, believing that long term they, they, they will rally they will come back
0: mm, um, I mean we had some we had some numbers from Ted Baker mm. No, I know that's a company that we both like uh, yeah. the market sort of fell out of love with it a little bit towards the end of last year for uh, non-trading reasons
1: uh, yeah I mean they'd had a pretty poor trading year before that to be fair um, they'd had protracted weakness in Asia which the market was very nervous about any of those companies that sort of border the luxury segment um, or the aspirational lifestyle segment as uh, some analysts refer to it um you know they are dependent on a chinese consumer and and
0: the chinese consumer seems to be batting down the hatches a little bit i mean yeah. we, we had obviously some numbers from apple recently uh which were not great i mean which, which they very much blamed on a uh, a slowdown in chinese iphone sales mm-hmm. car sales that we've talked about already
1: yeah and um, even um even tesco today most of their weakness is coming out of asia and central europe so it, it very much ties into what's going on on a macro level as well
2: wealth effect well, if you look at the worst-performing markets in uh, 2018, just think emerging markets. Yeah, um, yeah. And if you've seen your portfolio collapse, you know, be it Hong Kong shares, Chinese shares, 25%, 30%, then, yeah, it's going to have an effect on your ability to um, import into China very expensive BMW with all the import duties, yeah. and it's no surprise, really, that, I think, was it down 6% or so, the... Um, the new car sales in in china last year
0: uh yeah i've got the figure somewhere in that big pile of paper there which i can't be bothered to look at. but yes it was it was I know, maybe 6.8 is
2: ringing a bell it was, it was a chunky number but
0: the biggest fall for 20 years i think this
2: or the first fall for 20 years it, it also raises doubts serious doubts about the official um gdp figures that are actually coming out of china which we've always we've never believed them always doubted them um but whether or not there's any growth um, which then raises um, the possibility of the Chinese government um, doing yet another massive fiscal boost to the economy.
0: Which, again, is going to help yeah. lift all boats for for a while. A period of time. So it's, it's funny, isn't it? I mean, this is, it feels like we've been talking about this for years. You know, a weak economy is good news for stock markets because government blow some cash.
2: It could very well be the case.
0: Yeah, well, here we go. I'm sure we're going to see some more weakness this year. But Ted Baker, anyway, we digress. Edge of luxury theme, not done well, but great numbers over Christmas.
1: Great numbers over Christmas. And as you referred to, the Ray Kelvin sort of PR scandal at the end of last year um, seems to not have really touched um, that performance at all. You know, you get a lot, again, of scaremongering headlines around, you know, there being this sort of feminist boycott of of various companies, and it just doesn't seem to materialise.
0: Yeah, I... I, I Spent some time with Ted Baker over uh, over Christmas at the New Year, and uh, yeah, there, there's no boycott there. I tell you, no, and, and you shops. know it's a
1: testament to the fact that they have grown that brand as much as it was based on supposedly Ray Kelvin's alter ego, and it's very much his business. They've done a fairly good job, I think, of managing to actually separate him from it to the sort of untrained eye, as it were. So a lot of their loyal customers are probably quite unaware of that particular tie, and they just see the product for what it is, which is good quality at a price point which. They can afford. Um, yeah. So
0: my kids are bliss big. blissfully unaware. They're big fans of Ted Baker, blissfully unaware of any any scandals going on, and that continues to be what they want for Christmas. So <laughs> doesn't really uh, affect anything, I, I would say. So what we're saying here is that, that actually some of the numbers from the retail sector have been pretty decent. Uh, it wasn't the basket case uh, that, that that perhaps um, it, it, it was expected to be over Christmas. Um, even Debenhams, even Debenhams,
1: no, well, didn't
0: do quite as badly isn't looking quite as
1: no I'm, no i'm still gonna say it's <laughs> terrible john is terrible um you can read dan liberto's sort of um mild defense it's, although i think it's very
0: measured I would yeah
1: say. i think he comes ultimately to my conclusion as well <laughs> which is um is that it's in pretty dire straits to be honest it's the fourth biggest fall of the year yeah 94 um, i put it onto a mini cell this time last year we put it through official sell through tips of the week uh, around may june time so it's, that's when we start sort of officially tracking the progress so even in the last six months of last year it's down 70% on my sell tip. So yeah, it's been an absolute shocker. And today, their Christmas trading was pretty appalling. And they have now also said that they need to refinance all of their banking facilities within the next 12 months. And they're in constructive discussions with their lenders, which is really interesting, because shortly before Christmas, Mike Ashley, who people may be aware of has a 30% stake via Sports Direct in Debenhams, had supposedly the Telegraph published this letter which Mike Ashley had supposedly sent to um, the board at Debenhams offering them a £40 million emergency injection basically to which they said no and he Wrote this scathing letter, as you can imagine, from our good friend Mike Ashley, uh, basically telling them what a mistake that was and that their days were numbered. And uh, so a funding crisis is no surprise.
0: Having said that, they they were pursuing a programme of asset sales, which they appear to have put on hold.
1: They have to put them on hold Okay, so this
0: isn't this isn't because they don't need the money. It's because they can't. They
1: can't. Yeah. Right. Fine. Um, It's. I don't know the ins and outs of the regulation off the top of my head, but because they are now in formal discussions with their lenders, they cannot do asset disposals at the same time.
2: Where does that leave their credit insurers for their supplies?
1: Yeah, I mean, it it looks bad, and you know, House of Fraser should be good case study for us in this sense we watched it play out or the worst case scenario for suppliers play out last summer which was i think at one point mike ashley having bought it out of administration was only honoring something like 3p for every pound to mm-hmm. suppliers um so yeah i mean it, it could be real real crisis time for them they, too. they
2: were really giving away stock i um, took advantage um before christmas and um, a certain brand of shoes made its way into my uh, Christmas stocking. Um, About like a- ten
0: pairs? <laughs> <laughs> shoes for life. You've,
2: you've noticed. Um, <laughs> uh, at a 55% discount to yeah. the uh, full retail price, which was unheard of for, for Lokes. And... Um, also, things like paddywax candles. Uh, I'd recommend Vertaber and Cartman if you ever <laughs> like those <laughs> smells.
1: However, when you're having your evening bath, John.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's what I do in the evenings. <laughs> <laughs> you know, at forty percent discounts. Yeah, um, and again, that's that's, that's brilliant. Yeah, nice to get the cash desperate. Yeah, and it's you know great, great for the consumer. Yeah, free postage as well. Great. Where, where's the margin?
1: You had an interesting experience in House of Fraser, though, didn't you? Oh,
2: well, really? I popped into
0: the one at Monument mm. just before Christmas because it's closing down. Yes. Because they wouldn't renegotiate their
1: lease. It was already slated to close before, was. Before, before the administration, but yeah.
0: You know, I thought I'd pop in and see what uh, bargains I could, uh, could discover, and there weren't any, basically. It, it appeared that, that, uh, that, that Sports Direct had taken out anything good, which I assume it will sell through some, some of its other brands.
1: Yeah, through Flannels, I think, which is their sort of designer um Store, which the new one is due to open on Oxford Street any day now, I think.
0: Okay, but all I could find in there was uh, was the stuff that you could find in any any uh, common garden, Sports Direct, mm. Lee Cooper sweatshirts and such like. Yeah. So, yeah, it's uh, it was quite quite a tragic. Th- thing to witness
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well it, it, it is a fall from grace i mean it would be interesting to see how this year plays out in terms of that house of fraser transformation what they'll be able to do with it because of course there is massive read across for Debenhams, um because what they both have in common is mike ashley
0: but you're saying Debenhams is, is pretty much toast That's your yeah view.
1: i mean the problem with Debenhams is that obviously it targets a slightly less affluent Well, not even slightly a less affluent customer base than House of Fraser, and as our feature just before Christmas sort of pointed out, it's really that sort of upper premium lifestyle luxury. Simon,
0: Simon, just said he
2: shop there at Debenhams for for my loaf shoes. Well, yeah,
1: I mean. No comment. <laughs> I've totally lost my train of thought. It corner. doesn't matter.
0: Debenhams is toast, I think we're saying. And yeah. There's probably going to be some...
1: It's just not as a defensive business. There. And, you know, how well their their shareholders are going to react to a CBA at this point, I mean... Yeah, it's going to be carnage. And to be, to be
0: fair to Dan, I mean, the, the feature is about how you go about the process of looking at a share that's mm-hmm. fallen heavily and working out whether it's been oversold. He does conclude his piece on Debenhams by saying that uh, it has some interesting ideas, but none strong enough to guarantee its presence on the UK high streets for years to come.
1: Yeah, absolutely. He doesn't. So. He, he's not exactly recommending a recovery play. Um, but he has a couple of other ideas there, which uh, which do look a little bit more interesting. Yeah. (laughs) yeah i think you know i think to if we want to sort of round up what we're saying about retail the thing that you and i i think often agree on is the fact that the retailers which have performed well over christmas and saved it from being a complete bloodbath are the ones that have been able to keep up with the times and reinvent themselves get online whatever that may be streamline their distribution or not
0: online online. it was not online and it's doing extremely well
1: know what they do well you know there's that there's another angle to that greg is a good example of that too um but the ones that have failed to keep up with their consumer or their customers changing demands and changing tastes and behaviors they're the ones that are you know crashing out and so it's really it, it's the, in a lot of ways there are no surprises here um it's just about understanding wh- individually what companies have done and what they haven't
0: i i just think it's 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 kind of h- hyperbole to suggest that the UK high street retail is dead, and that's that's the, pretty much the gist of the headlines we see. I've even seen reports that suggest it will it cease to exist entirely in fifty years' time. Um, but people do like going shopping. It is a leisure activity. Yeah. Go to Westfield Stratford. Go to the biggest shopping centre, urban shopping centre in Europe, Westfield uh, uh, Shepherd's Bush or White City, I think it is. Mm-hmm. Go to Blakeside or I mean,
1: people you have to
0: drive to, for miles to get there and queue for ages to find a parking spot, people are mad for it.
1: Yeah, I mean, and certainly I think we live obviously in a bit of a London bubble with these things sometimes as well, where we sort of see a very metropolitan existence day to day.
0: Well, where we're, where we're giving up stuff because, because we have to live in tiny flats. And...
1: <laughs> yeah, and also that we want things, you know, we're all at work all day and no one's at, at the house, so we get stuff delivered and we're all much more online. But, you know, you forget there's a big ish (laughs) country (laughs) out there that that doesn't live like that. Um, And they do still do a lot of things in their communities and in their town centres. It's interesting what you say about the government, you know, spending more on, you know, when markets are weak, because in the autumn budget, we had a a lot of sort of rhetoric from Philip Hammond around reinvesting in town centres and pledging all sorts of money, which until business rates really get addressed, I don't think will make that much difference. But to take you know not to take the sentiment away it you know his pledge was that he wants to see town centres become a, a focus of of communities again and of people's day-to-day lives so
0: well let's hope it happens mm. let's hope it happens anyway so yeah lots of opportunities in retail really i,
1: I think, think the so. sell-off
0: has uh has, has delivered us some uh potential bargains there i presume there's not much retail in the bargain shares portfolio however Fair. Could be really one company. Oh my goodness!
1: Oh, I bet it's your favorite.
0: Oh, let's let's not speculate. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that is. That's quite interesting, though.
2: Um, I haven't uh, looked at retail stocks for some time. I put French Connection into the portfolio oh. about three years ago, and it is possibly being taken over. It's still being courted by who knows at the moment. So it's going through that official bid process. Um, this stock is basically where it was a couple of years ago. So, you know, it hasn't done anything, but there could be one, John.
0: Mm. I await with bated breath. I think that's all we've got time for. Thank you, Harriet, and thank you, Simon. There's lots more in the magazine this week, apart from, from retail. We've got lots of comments. Chris looking at uh, diversification. We have No Free Lunch, Paul Jackson looking at buybacks. This is really quite interesting. Buybacks become, being a big feature of the US market, something that, that's often been pointed to as, as part of the reason why it's rallied so strongly over the last few years and whether this will happen in the UK to the same extent. Phil Oakley's back this week. He's looking at so-called bond proxies, so sort of big, safe shares, Uh, like Unilever, seeing whether they're, uh, I think as uh, as we put it on the cover, a share for all seasons or lumbering giants under threat. John Barron's in this week with a a 10-year anniversary uh, roundup of his investment trust portfolios. All the usual tips, very few results, which will remain the case for a a few weeks longer, thank goodness. (laughs) We're looking at the mining activity around fertilisers. Alex Newman's put that together and Algie's rounded up his stock screens from the past year. And the big thing there is that value is appears to be making a comeback. Uh, not, Simon, that it ever went away when it comes to the bargain shares
2: portfolio. Stock pickers always will be around.
0: Absolutely. Anyway, thank you, Simon. Thank you, Harriet. And thank you all for listening. Pick up the magazine in All Good News, Agent Down But Not Out, How to Spot Struggling Shares Ready for a jump start. And uh, we'll be back again next week. Thank you.